0: It's not unheard of to get a property under contract, go through your due diligence or your inspection period of roughly 30 days, get done with that, feel confident in the deal, think, okay, everything looks good, so now after the conclusion of due diligence, now you're gonna have all of your earnest money go hard, meaning you don't get it back if you pull out. You know, For very few exceptions, but almost without exception, If you decide to pull the plug on the deal after you've passed that due diligence period, your money's gone.
1: As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great pleasure of having Bruce Peterson with me today. Bruce, you're in Texas, right?
0: Yes, I am. I'm in 105-degree Austin, Texas right now in loving life. Oh, boy, that's warm. <laughs> I'll pass on that. You, you guys are welcome. Somebody
1: told me like the growth in Texas didn't really happen until the ACs got invented or something in like that.
0: <laughs> Probably so. It is so brutally hot here; it's crazy. That's why we try to go to Park City every year for a month or two during the hottest time of the year just to escape. Wow, wow. So, you know, I don't do
1: much on introductions here. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got started in multifamily? All
0: right. So, yeah, I'm a syndicator of large properties throughout Central Texas. My first deal was a 48 unit, but we try to stay between two and 400 units now. The largest thing we bought was a two-property portfolio, 484 units. I've uh, been doing it for about, I think it's nine years now. But my background, you know, I grew up a fairly poor kid. You know, got out of high school barely. I was the first one in my family to graduate high school. But then, you know, I went to college because in 86, well, you're supposed to go to college now. Well, I did that until it didn't work for me. I was just not cut out for academia. So, I dropped out of college, and then because I didn't have a degree back in the 80s, I fell into retail and I did that for almost 20 years. You know, I'm five foot eight, and right now I'm at about 175 pounds. Well, I was 240 pounds, and I was working 80 to 110 hour weeks that last year. And I liked it until I realized I hate this shit. This is terrible. And there are a lot of people that do it, they do it very well, and they really do like it, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was not working for me anymore. So I quit uh, when I was 42, I think it was, and I just had to figure something else out. I was going to kill myself doing that. I was miserable. I was fat. I was depressed. It was just not a good thing for me. So you know, I sat down one day after just kind of putzing around in my front yard, playing with my flowers for a whole year, doing nothing, and I you know did a Google search it wasn't even multifamily it was just a real estate mentor in central texas where i live and i got lucky my second reach out i found somebody that would mentor me become my coach i paid her some money and she kind of taught me the ropes and we've been doing it for again 8 9 years we've won the national apartment association rental owners of the year in 17 we won the austin in 16. And then we won the Think multifamily investors of the year in 2019. So we've gotten really good at what we do. We have our own management company, construction company, two management companies, one in Nashville and one in Austin. So we're all in brother. This is all we do. And we love everything about it.
1: Wait, so how do you go from playing around in your flower bed to buying 200 unit apartment?
0: You skipped a bunch of stuff there. I found a good mentor or, or a coach. Uh, I think a lot of people are turned off by the word mentor right now, which I don't understand, but we'll call it a coach for most people. She was super experienced. She was also a real estate broker, so she helped me find my first deal. But you know, she taught me how to underwrite deals. She taught me how to find a deal, how to negotiate the deal, who to work with and when to work with those people. And I just listened to her. So my first deal was a 48 unit in 2012. Back then, 34000 a door. Today, that property would sell for about $100,000 a door. But I had to raise $460,000. I invested one hundred and fifteen of my own money in the deal and syndicated my very first thing. I'd never bought a single-family rent home. I went straight into multifamily and then straight into syndicating multifamily at that because I listened to her. And you know, so we went from 48 units to 120 units and 256 units. And we're staying in the two to 400 unit range now all the time. I always got to ask this question
1: when I hear that. So how did you qualify for the loan on the first
0: one? <laughs> so that's funny, right? So I had quit working. I had plenty of money in the bank. I knew how to save my money and invest my money wisely, even in retail. So I had quite a bit of money saved up, but I couldn't get a loan to buy a house. When I went and found somebody to teach me multi-family. I'm like, oh, but I can't get a loan. I don't have a job. She goes, no, that's not the way this works. I'm like, no, oh, wait a minute. What are you talking about? She said 70 to 80% of the decision-making process as to whether they would lend me money was based on the property itself. Because now I'm buying a business. I'm not buying a place to live for me and my family. I'm buying a functioning business. And I just have to buy something that the bank or the lender feels confident that I can make enough profit to pay for the loan. So the deal itself, the property itself, actually satisfies the loan payments. So that was the majority of the answer, but they are going to look at me to a degree as well. So about 20 to 30% of that decision is looking at me. My credit score was good, but I didn't have W-2 income. So I found two people on my first deal that took a chance on me and were willing to sign their name on my loan. And we went out and got a, what was it? A $1.2 million loan to buy that first property. Now, did they have multifamily experience? Not at all. Nobody in the entire deal had ever done anything in multifamily at all. But they liked me because, you know, the bank wanted to interview me. It wasn't like it is now where, okay, no, no, we, we trust you as the mortgage broker. And, you know, you vouch for Bruce. Bruce has done a lot of deals. We're fine. Back then, no, who the hell is this kid? He's a retail guy. He doesn't have a job. Are you kidding me? So they really wanted to grill my ass and they talked to me for a long time on the phone, but they finally got comfortable with me. They understood I was working with a very experienced mentor or coach. So that went a long way too, but I provided them with a kind of a bio structured around real estate because I had a lot of skills that I had learned in retail as far as leading people Managing deals, running a multi million dollar PL. So I was able to get them comfortable enough with me with the help of my mortgage broker. And yeah, they gave it to me with no experience at all.
1: Wow. So,
0: two more questions
1: on this and then we'll get into the good stuff. So, one, did your coach come in the deal with you?
0: Nope, she did not. I don't know if she was investing in any deals back then. She does her own deals now. Her and her husband just buy their own, you know, 20 to 50 to maybe 100 unit deals on their own. But no, back then I don't think she was doing much investing, but or at least she didn't invest in my deal. I think she trusted me, but no, she didn't invest in my deal.
1: That's amazing.
0: <laughs> community bank or like agency debt? That was a community bank, and because I used a good mortgage broker with connections everywhere, they found a bank in Burr Ridge, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago, that they only had the one branch. But somehow they knew these people. So they reached out and said, hey, I've got this guy. He's a little different than what you're usually going to lend on. But we think he's the real deal and he, we think he can pull it off. So that's, that's how I found that bank. just one little bitty location in Burr Ridge, Illinois. That's crazy.
1: So net worth and liquidity weren't really the big deal then back in 2012, I guess.
0: Well, it was. But again, I had two people sign on the loan. So us together had enough net worth and liquidity to satisfy them.
1: Okay, I'm tracking now because that's always a big deal. You've done a number of different deals. I think you help people in multifamily as well. I think everything goes perfect, just like that first deal that you did. And so you probably don't have any war stories to share with me.
0: Oh, <laughs> no, not a damn one. And that deal didn't go perfect either. You know, we made a three hundred percent return for the passive investor on that first deal. But there was a lot of crap that happened on the way to that. You know, we had bed bugs. A dude walked into the office and was talking to my manager one day when I was there and uh, he's speaking Spanish. I don't know what they're talking about, but he had brought in his digital camera and he showed a picture to the property manager and then he showed it to me. There was a picture of a dead rat the size of the lady's foot that was in his apartment and he also brought his wife with him and showed us all the blood marks on her neck from being bitten overnight by bed bugs i'm like ah, i'm brand new at this i'm like oh my god mentor what do i do so she kind of coached me through it and it ended up beautiful at the end of it all when we got it all taken care of for that resident i saw him again one day on property and he walked up and he shook my hand i'm like uh everything okay he goes I wanted to say thank you. I was like, wait a minute. I was having your wife eaten alive, dead rats the size of her foot, and you're thanking me. You're the first landlord that I've ever had that cared enough to fix my problems. And you know, I'm gonna get teared up now thinking about it, but that was powerful because I thought we probably will make some good money on this deal. We were kind of new into it, but I realized, dude, it's about a lot more than the money. And that, that's the feel good part of it. Yeah. I mean, being able to make
1: an impact with your investment is what I think makes this a perfect investment. Yep. The first deal bed bugs, rats. Is that as bad as it gets? I mean, that sounds like a exterminator bill.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. So when you've never gone through it, it feels like the end of the world, right? Oh, my God. We got bed bugs. Well, heck, everything's got bed bugs, it seems, in Central Texas. You just deal with it, it's not that big a deal. But yeah, I've had dead guys found on property. I've had arson, carjackings, home invasions, you name it, floods. But the one that everybody likes to hear me talk about, because it will knock you on your ass if you're not careful. So I bought a 250 unit property in San Antonio in 2016. And the day we go to close on the property, everything's in line. We got all the money raised. Now we just got to wire the funds to the seller. And so I initiate the wire. I head to the property, waiting for the all clear to say that the seller has received the wire and you now own this property. Great. So I go down and I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing. A couple hours pass, nothing. I'm like, I usually have it in about an hour or two. They haven't seen the wire. It'll be there any second now. Another hour goes by. Another hour. Another hour. And still nobody has seen the wire. Everybody's screaming at me, like, "Look, dude, I did it. I sent the wire." I called the bank, the bank said, nope, it left us. It went to the Federal Reserve, we don't have it anymore. So what happens when you send a wire, it goes to the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve looks at it, makes sure everything's you know buttoned up and it looks okay. But then a division of the government called OFAC, O-F-A-C, they come in and look at it too, while it's at the Fed. And they're comparing the sender name and the receiver name to a list of known bad actors internationally. Uh, They're they're trying to prevent money laundering for drug cartels and terrorist organizations. So when they compare the names to their list, the property name hits. So the name of the property was the same name as a known drug cartel in Colombia. Well, so they grab my $5.2 million. They don't tell me they grab it. They just grab it and they sit on it while they research. Nobody knows what's going on because they don't tell you, there's not a customer service department at OFAC, right? So they don't tell you that this is what's going on. So now I got to go back and tell my wife, right? My wife is a CPA. And when we left the property, she's like, what happened? Why didn't we close on the deal? Well, let me tell you what happened. And now she starts to hyperventilate. So I have to take her to a restaurant, start pouring liquor down her throat, trying to get her calmed down. But then I got to go talk to my investor. So I sent an email saying, hey, today's the day and you know, I'm sorry it didn't happen today, but I got some even better news for you. I don't even know where your money is. So me and my wife put $100,000 into the deal ourselves, but the balance of that $5.1 million, that's all investor money, and I don't know where it is. All I can imagine is, you know, you've heard these horror stories maybe that, you know, somebody will get involved in your email chain and intercept an email and, you know, reroute everything to their Bank account. So I thought when I wired it, somehow it got intercepted by a bad guy, and they took our money. And if that happened, I was out five million, and there was no recourse. I was just screwed. Luckily, the next business day, we figured it out. We got in touch with the OFAC. They said, "Yeah, we do have it. We're researching it." They released it later that day, and everything worked out. But this is what I try to tell people that I coach: You really want to syndicate? It's great. It's rewarding. I love it. It's the best thing I've ever done. But if you can't handle having to own up to the unknown like that to your investors, please do not go down this path. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. How
1: does that conversation go? I mean, I know you told them, hey, I don't know where it is. We're going to figure it out. Give us some time. But say the worst case scenario happened. Right. Somebody changed the wiring instructions and it wasn't verified independently. To, you know, by phone to justify you guys sending a wire. So you lose it. What's your contingency plan for something like that?
0: there is no contingency plan for that. First of all, it's only my third deal, so I didn't even know to think about a contingency. That would never happen. Well, holy shit, it did. So, you know, there is no contingency plan. I mean, we got it figured out so I didn't have to dig any deeper, but because it's happened to me since, but now it's happened and I know what to do and, and to be calm while I work through it. But potentially I could have been bankrupted, right? Because I got to make these people whole, you know? And because they're going to come after me to make them whole and I'll give them all the cash I have. I'm like most people, I don't carry a lot of cash. Most of my money is invested somewhere. So it would have bankrupted me for sure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's the piece I wanted to hear you say, Bruce, is look, I was going to make them whole because it was on my watch. And because, I mean, I think that's the level of responsibility that operators who are going to be in this business long-term, they take it that way. Like your money's more important than mine. I'll short myself in order to make sure you're good. And so I appreciate you saying
0: that. Right. So, you know, on that, a very similar kind of scenario, again, this is me trying to talk to these people that want to be coached. Okay. I would love to coach you or mentor you, but I just got to make sure you understand what can happen. It's not unheard of, to get a property under contract go through your due diligence or your inspection period of roughly 30 days get done with that feel confident in the deal think okay everything looks good so now after the conclusion of due diligence now you're going to have all of your earnest money go hard meaning you don't get it back if you pull out you know for very few exceptions but almost without exception if you decide to pull the plug on the deal after you've passed that due diligence period your money's gone Okay, so I had something happen where I was trying to buy a property and we hadn't passed our due diligence period. So we got our $100,000 back in earnest money because we terminated in time. But the other side of this is I have a lot of sunk costs. I did a lot of inspections. I spent money to have my syndication documents drafted, which is roughly $15,000. I had to put up the money for the loan application with Fannie Mae, which is $22,500. If you're going with Freddie Mac, it's a $35,000 application fee. Those fees are gone. I've paid all these legal fees, all these inspection fees, all these loan app fees. I pulled out in time to get my earnest money back. Fine, but I'm still out $40,000, $60,000. That came out of my ass. You could structure your deal in a way that it can't come out of the partnerships deal, but like you're kind of alluding to, no, that's me. That's my fault. I could have legally put it on the partnership, but I thought, I want to do business with these guys again. And if I mail them for 50 grand without getting a property, how many of them are actually going to follow me into the next deal? So yeah, we lost money on that deal. It sucked, but it was better than buying a bad deal. So, you know, we got out and ate that money and just moved on. It's a cost of doing business.
1: Yeah. Pursuit costs, the risk capital and the pursuit costs is challenging. And I know what my deals, I've always just funded it. That way I don't feel beholden to anybody if I, I did. I don't want to go forward because, I mean, you got to eat your own cooking a lot of times when you're you're making the model and so on and so
0: on. Yeah. So people think syndication. Oh, I'm using other people's money to do all. Well, no, not really. What you should be doing is fronting all those costs. And then once you get closed, then you get reimbursed. Right. But that's coming out of your pocket because legally you're probably not even allowed to touch the investor money until certain thresholds are hit in your cash raise. So probably you're not even allowed to touch that money. So you got to come out of pocket for all of it.
1: That's crazy. You know, I, I struggle when people say you can buy a deal with no money, no credit, no nothing. And I'm like, guys, that's not real, especially not a hundred plus unit deal. Right?
0: You know, and I always, you know, give the caveat that, look, okay, it can be real guys, but I would say 2% of deals, maybe that happens. If you're getting into it thinking that's going to happen, this is not going to end well for you. You know, I get people at all the different Facebook groups and all the different bulletin boards and all this thing. Hey, I want to get involved in real estate, but I have no money. I have no credit. I have no job. Who can help me? Like, no, go get a job, save your freaking money, and then come back at this later. I don't know what to tell you. I can't teach you how to do that.
1: Yeah. And those people are just going to take their money and they're never going to do a deal, (laughs) at least not anytime soon. And, you know, that, None of your own money. That other stuff is usually a sophisticated strategy from somebody who's established a track record where they've been successful and now people trust them with their money to go do that thing. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investor. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now, let's get back to the episode.
0: Right, because there are legitimate reasons a syndicator might not put money into their own deals, a sponsor. We always put money into our own deals, but I know of a few close friends that they have done deals and put nothing in because we can get ourselves in a trap if we're not careful. If we deploy too much capital, well, now we have no liquidity. If I have no liquidity, I can't get another loan. So at some point, some of my friends have said, nope, I'm not going to do anything in my next two or three deals. I have a track record, you guys can trust me. I've performed, but I need to bulk up my personal reserves or my liquidity so I can go out and get additional loans in the future. So it it's legit that sometimes they may not want to or may, may not be able to, but that's an individual investor decision that are you comfortable with that? If so, fine. If not, well, that's okay. You have your own parameters or criteria for an investment. And if it doesn't fit, move on. Yeah. And so you wrote a book recently, right? I did what's it about? It is about how hard syndicating really is. People, you know, I was on a stage at a national real estate event, and I shared the stage with three other gentlemen. And it was really funny because a good friend of mine is on stage with me, and he wrote a book talking about how simple syndication is. And I wrote a book that said syndication is a bitch. So the moderator of the talk, saw what was going on and he went oh so he brought it up to the crowd he said this is going to be an interesting panel because and he kind of showed the juxtaposition of our two approaches and i said look in theory yes it's super easy can you figure out a spreadsheet are you friendly okay then yeah it's easy in theory but when you go out there and try to really do this and juggle all the balls that you have to to make this work And then you find dead people, and Homeland Security takes some of your money. And if you don't perform for a quarter, you have to own up to that and tell your investors maybe there was no distribution. You have to be able to communicate to your investors why I'm sending nothing out during COVID. You know, they're not going to be happy to hear that, but it's my job to tell them that, you know, look, there's too much uncertainty in this market. We might go a quarter or two without distributions, but this is why. So I have to deal with that stuff and I have to communicate and I have to be transparent and I have to be out in front of things. And again, I firmly believe 60 to 70% of the people that come to me to be coached, they don't have the mental fortitude to do that. So that's why the book is there to explain how difficult this really and truly is. And that it's not for everybody. You know, they hear on stage at these real estate expos, put on by groups that are selling education, they're good groups, they're run by fantastic people, but they're trying to sell you something. So they're not going to tell you all those airy stories, all the warts and all the the crazy crap that happens. They're not going to lie to you in any way. They're not going to mislead you or commit fraud on stage, but if they tell you the honest to god truth, you're going to get scared not give them your money. So it was my job and responsibility I felt, yes, I you know, got on a pulpit thought it's my job to tell everybody that if you get swept up into the emotion in that crowd, you may give somebody 20 to $40,000 of your hard earned money that after you really see how hard it is, I should never have done this. This is a lot harder than they made it sound. So I wanted to tell the truth in a fun, happy, funny way with some cuss words mixed in every once in a while because I cuss. Um, But I wanted to tell people the truth.
1: Bruce, I I appreciate your honesty and transparency and the mission that you're on. I I think it's my mission, too, to tell people the truth. And that's why we have multifamily missteps. And so to close this out, what words of wisdom do you have for the listeners? And are you doing something for our listeners with the book? Well, words
0: of wisdom, we'll start there because you started there. You know, just understand who you are please don't go chasing dollar signs because you hear stories about people that are syndicating and they're making this much or they're living this lifestyle. It is not going to end well for you if you're only chasing dollars. Do it because you like it. Be real with yourself. We will lie to ourselves very often because we want to believe we're something we're not because we don't want to admit failure or shortcomings in ourselves. We all have them. If you can't be transparent and out front when things go wrong, don't do this. So, the biggest thing for me is just be self-aware and, and don't put yourself in a bad situation. But then back to the book. Yeah, for anybody listening, again, I'm not trying to make any money on the book. I'm not trying to land clients or investors or anything like that. I'm trying to make sure people go into this with their eyes wide open. So I'm going to give everybody that's listening a free copy of the book. It's going to be a high-quality uh, PDF version of it. So if you will go to apt-guy.com/get. V dash book. So it's apartmentguy.com slash get the book, basically. If you'll go there, give me your information so I can send you a book, but I will email you a book for free.
1: Wow. Bruce, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time. I look forward to growing and learning more from you as things go along and talk to you soon. All right, buddy. It was great. Thanks for having me. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.